Now, we love stories about courage and bravery, right? courage and bravery, whether it's a, a risky bet the farm career move that someone makes or whether it's a death-defying stunt that someone pulls off or whether it's simply the pursuit of a noble dream and the sacrifice required on their behalf to pursue that dream. Courageous acts inspire us. They stir our soul. It's just that we don't want to be the ones to have to risk it all, right? And that's because our natural tendency is to gravitate. We are naturally drawn toward that which is comfortable, that which is easy, that which is known. We love watching feats of courage and bravery from the ease and comfort of our lazy boys. The problem with that way of living, however, is that following Christ and being a Christ follower is not a spectator sport. It was Helen Keller who once said, security is mostly a myth. It doesn't exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. Now, according to scriptures, comfort and ease was never meant to be the goal of our lives. It might be the pursuit of American life today, comfort and ease, but it was never, we were not designed for that. It's not the purpose of life. Rather, when we read Scripture, we discover that knowing Christ and making him known, following after him, that's why we were made. That's what life is all about. In other words, life is a journey. It is a lifelong journey of faith. It requires us to step out into the unknown, step out out of our comfort zone, and to put it on the line for Christ. That's what we were designed for. I love the way that Pastor Mark Batterson, in his book, All In, how he puts it. He says, since when did Christ, since when did we start believing that Christ died to keep us safe? He died to make us dangerous. We pursue safety. Christ called us toward danger. In our message series entitled, Daring Faith, this morning we want to address this whole subject of faith by recognizing that faith is risky business. It simply is risky business. And we see this truth being played out in one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the talent, sometimes called the parable of the unfaithful servant. So I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, it's found on page 759 in the church Bibles there. Matthew 25, we'll be reading verses 14 through verse 30. Again, it will be like a man. Now, the it here refers to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is speaking and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. 
To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once to put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we begin our study of this uh, parable by noticing, first of all, the three servants in Jesus' parable. Now, those first two servants were very similar, and we could describe them this way, that they were faith-filled risk-takers. They were faith-filled risk-takers. These were two men who had faithfully served, diligently served uh, this wealthy landowner, served under his direction, probably for several years, had built up some trust with this uh, owner. And just prior to his long uh, trip, the landowner called these servants into his office. And he gave them talents or bags of money, uh, bags of gold. Now, there's some discrepancy, some variation as far as how much uh, th that money really was in modern-day equivalent. Some believe that it was somewhere, each bag was somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 on the low end. Others say several thousand dollars on the high end. But either way, it was a large chunk of money. Now, they were given a significant amount of latitude concerning what they were to do with that money. But one thing was clear. It was not theirs to keep or to squander. Instead, they were to invest and develop it for their master. Right? They were to be creative and productive and enterprising. They were to seek to multiply what had been entrusted to them. And, of course, 
that meant giving something away, right? It requires a certain level of risk. They had to release or let go of their money, investing it into certain projects that could turn a profit. And that involved a certain level of risk. Because nobody knew for sure exactly how that investment would turn out, whether it would pay off or not. But these men were willing to take that. They were faithful in pursuing, you know, their master's good. It's much like a farmer who may spend a lot of money buying seed. And then he just takes that seed, he gets rid of it, right? He sows it into the ground in order that he might reap a harvest someday. But of course, the farmer has no idea whether there's going to be a killing drought or killing frost. There's no idea whether there's going to be a harvest at all. But he sows in faith. Friends, if you play it safe all the time in order to simply conserve what you have, then you will reap no harvest. The principle is true whether we're talking about farming, life, or even our spiritual lives. No risk, no reward. And so these two servants, faithful servants, they took the risk. They put their master's money to work. And when the master returned, he commended them by saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. But then there is this third servant. And he was different. Rather than describing him as a faith-filled risk-taker, we can describe him as a fear-filled play-it-safer. He was a fear-filled play-it-safer. Notice that this servant was given one bag of gold, one bag of money. Now, what's significant is not the amount that he was given, but what's most significant is what he did with what he received. This servant takes his bag of money, digs a hole in the ground, and buries it until his master returns. Now, without safety deposit boxes or, you know, buildings for safekeeping, that was a fairly common practice, a common way that people safeguarded their uh, treasures, their valuables in that day, hiding them underground. And so that's what this servant did. He refused to invest or develop, or to multiply what had been entrusted to him. He played it safe, took no risks, and didn't even try. And when the master returned and confronted him, confronted him for his lack of activity, for his lack of initiative, this servant replied, I was afraid, and so I went out and hid your talent in the ground. You see, this servant was paralyzed by fear. He couldn't move forward. He he was paralyzed, frozen, if you will. He was scared of the master. He was scared of failing. He was scared of making a dumb or wrong investment choice. He was scared of looking foolish. Fear gripped him. He much preferred maintenance over multiplication. He preferred preservation over productivity. Just conserve, just preserve, just keep what I've got. 
And although the master was pleased with the other two servants for their faithful response, the master, we read, was greatly displeased with the unfaithful or the faithless response of this servant. In fact, we read that not only does this servant receive no reward, but we receive that the little that he was given was taken away from him and given to someone more worthy. So from this parable, we learn the harsh spiritual reality that if we don't use it, we, we lose it. If we don't develop what God has given to us, it will be taken away from us. This parable provides us with a clarion call to take a risk, to venture out, to leverage what we have been given for the sake of Christ's kingdom. We are to leverage what we've been given for the sake of Christ's kingdom. Secondly, we see that without faith, if we do not exercise faith in our lives, then we will end up approaching life much like this third servant. In other words, without faith, we become discouraged and fearful. That's what we see happening in the life of this third servant. When faith is absent, we become crippled by the possibility of failure. We become paralyzed by the thought of not doing it perfectly right. We might fail, we might not get it right, and so then we end up doing nothing. We end up feeling like, you know, the other shoe is about to drop, and we have this foreboding feeling when we live without faith. But that is not how God has called us to live. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love and of discipline, or a a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. God gives us a spirit of power, a spirit that empowers us to move forward in faith. Now, in our story, this third servant acted with uh, timidity, right? He, He was timid. And Jesus equates timidity with being lazy and faithless, unfaithful, if you will. Think about it for just a moment. How many of us would like that title to be printed on our business card or on our nameplate at work? Lazy and unfaithful. Not a very complimentary title. But that was the description of this third servant. In other words, we need to be very careful what we do with what we've been given. So don't let the fear of losing what you have cause you to lose what God has in store for you. Okay? Don't let the fear of losing what you have right now cause you to lose the even better things God has in store for you down the road. In other words, in order to receive all that God has in store for you, you are going to need to exercise or activate your faith. There's no way of receiving it without exercising faith, without venturing out and ultimately understanding the value of a good risk. Now, without faith, we also end up undermining what God can do through us. We underestimate what God can do through us. 
Our tendency by nature is to overestimate our problems. We over-exaggerate our problems. And so molehills turn into mountains. But we underestimate God's ability to handle our problems. Remember when God called the Israelites to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the promised land, a land that was filled with giants? Those were giant problems. And what the people did was they shrunk back in fear, saying that job is too big for us. But they forgot all about the fact that it wasn't too big for their God. Friends, don't let the limitations of your natural abilities be the final determinator of your actions. The li- if limiting yourself simply to what you think you can do. Instead, if God is calling you to do something, to move forward, to, to stretch, to do something that you, you know, wonder about, trust that he will provide you with the resources necessary. Now, we don't want to be reckless about this, but we also don't want to be faithless about this. Instead, we want to be faithful, full of faith as we follow God. Now, like this third servant, without faith, we end up giving up and blaming God. That's what this third servant did. He just gave up, and he turned against God. He blamed God. That's what happens in our lives, too, when we do not exercise faith. We bury our treasure. We quit. We pass the buck off to God. We say, it's your fault that I'm this way or my life is this way. Ever hear people say that? That's exactly what this third unfaithful servant did. He turned to his master and he said, I knew that you were a hard man. That's why I hid your talent in the ground. It's not my fault. It's yours. Pushing the blame back onto the master. The servant tries to justify or excuse himself and cast blame on the master. Saying, you are mean and demanding. And you have placed unrealistic expectations on me. What else could I do? I really had no chance at all in this. You see, when faith is absent, that's often how we respond. We try to justify or excuse ourselves, and we turn against God. We begin to live in ignorance of who God really is, of his true character. And we end up making foolish decisions in life. So that's just a picture of what it looks like to live without faith. But what does it look like to live with faith? Well, when we exercise daring faith, one thing is for sure. We are then able to right-size our problems. We're able to right-size our problems. As we said last week, without faith, our, our vision, our viewpoint gets distorted. Our problems get magnified. But when we exercise faith, suddenly our vision gets corrected. We're able to see reality again. And we're able to see things from God's perspective. With faith, this third servant would have responded completely differently. He would have gone out, been uh, creative in his possible solutions, invested the money, trust and trusting the process to God. And even if things hadn't turned out as he had hoped, 
as he would have anticipated, he could have at least lived without regret or without shame. And he could have said, when the master returned, he could have said to his master, I did my very best. At least I tried to honor you with what you gave me. But of course, he was faithless, and he couldn't respond in that way. When we exercise faith, daring faith, we will attempt things that only God can pull off. We'll go beyond ourselves and actually try to do things that we know will never work unless God shows up. We will attempt things that only God can pull off. And that's because we're no longer limited by our natural ability and by the circumstances in our life. Instead, we're able to rise above those things and act in reliance upon God. Faith means that we stake our very lives and our eternal destiny on Christ. That's what faith means. We stake ourselves on Christ, on God's word and on his promises, rather than on ourselves. Now, stepping out in faith is going to look differently in different people's lives. It will look differently in your life than it looks in my life. For some of you, taking that leap of faith, that step of faith, might mean entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Recognizing that you are a sinner and you need to be saved by his blood. That's what it might mean for you to take that step of faith. For others, it might mean volunteering to be involved in one of our children's ministry programs here at church. For others, stepping out in faith might mean getting involved in a small group when you never have been before, or maybe even leading a small group. For you, it might mean increasing your giving, bumping up you know, your generosity factor. It might mean sharing Christ with someone at work. It might mean uh, inviting a group of neighbors over for a, a barbecue, getting to know them better and building some relationships with them. I don't know what it will mean for you, but I do know that God is asking you to do something beyond what you can do on your own, beyond what you can do in your own strength so that you lean on him. A third thing that happens when we exercise daring faith is that we reach our full redemptive potential. We will never reach our full redemptive potential without faith. Clearly, this third servant never reached his potential, right? He squandered his uh, chance. He missed this golden opportunity that was given to him. Now, we've only been given one life, right? We don't have multiple lives. We have one life that we've been given. And I believe that the measurement of true success, of a a valid life, is not so much in what we have been given, but in what we do with what we've been given. Did we walk with God in faith? Did we develop faith? the talents that he gave to us, and did we invest them in his kingdom? Did we grow to reach our full redemptive potential? That's how our life is going to be measured. Or did we underachieve? Did we refuse to take a risk, a God-honoring, faith-filled risk, 
And did we become less than what God intended us to be? Finally, after taking a look at what life without faith looks like and what life with faith looks like, if faith and exercising faith pleases God and and results in some positive things, then how can we develop a daring faith? Well, let me share just a few ways. One way we can develop a daring faith is by finding our true security in Christ. We need to find our true security in, in Christ. Now, they're, they're, this is one of the reasons why so many people fail, because they are looking elsewhere. They're trying to find their security in their own talents, in their own abilities. They, they find their security in their track record, how many wins, you know, they've got notched on their belt, however they, you know, register wins. They try to find their security in their job title, in their bank account, or their 401k plan, or in their family or friends. Now, none of those things are bad or wrong in them of, of themselves. It's just that none of those things is absolutely certain. Right? They can all be lost or taken away. Everything that I just mentioned can be lost in this world or can be taken away. Which is exactly why so many people today live in fear. It's because they are fearful of losing their source of security. But when we find our source of security in Jesus Christ, that's the thing that can't be taken away. And then we're better able to handle whatever comes our way. And we can even use some of those other things, those resources, and and, and we're able to risk some of those things for the cause of Christ. Another way that we can develop a daring faith in our lives is by continually moving out of our comfort zone. We need to continually move out of our comfort zone, even in small ways. It doesn't have to be some grand, big, grandiose thing all the time. A lot of times it's just little small ways. Faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. The less you exercise it, the weaker it becomes. The trouble is that you can't learn how to take risks and step out in faith if you remain in your comfort zone. The longer that you are in your comfort zone, the more your faith will weaken and atrophy. And so that's why we need to step out. That's why the comfort zone is the danger zone when it comes to living by faith. It might be the highest value, one of the highest values in our culture today, but it's not one of God's highest values. The, danger, the comfort zone is the danger zone because there our faith is really not being stretched, strengthened, or grown. So challenge yourself to move out of that zone, even in little ways every single day. It will stretch and strengthen your faith And it will make you less dependent on yourself and more dependent upon God, which is a good thing. One more way that you can use to develop a more daring and adventurous faith is by starting something before you have it all figured out. Take a step. Take a, you know, do an act of obedience. Start something before you have it all figured out. One of the ways that we play it safe 
is that we have to have everything figured out before we start out. But if Moses had to have everything figured out, if he had to have, if he used that approach, he never would have left Egypt or made it to the promised land. Usually it's better not to insist on having all of the answers before launching into a new project. Now, doing homework and doing research is a good thing, but waiting until we have it all figured out, not such a good thing. Especially if you sense that God is leading you in that direction. You see, if we have all of the answers and we have all of the resources necessary, if we have all the problems figured out before we launch something, then we don't need faith. Then we are simply walking by sight rather than faith. I've heard it said this way, that if you wait until you can do something perfectly the first time out, you've waited too long. We don't wait until we can walk perfectly. A a child, a toddler doesn't wait until they can walk perfectly before they take their first step. We learn how to walk by taking that first step, falling, getting up, taking another step, falling, and that's how we learn. That's how our faith is grown and developed. So we're not able to handle the big things in life until we take these small steps along the way. So when you venture out into the unknown in faith, there will be glitches and problems. There will be failures and frustrations. But that's where God comes in. He comes in to fill in the gaps, to make up that difference, and to show himself strong when we are weak. Friends, if you never trust in him, you are never giving him the opportunity to do something miraculous for you. Now, isn't it true that by nature, we want significance without sacrifice? We want significance without sacrifice. We want success without any failures along the way. We want character high godly character without suffering. We want rewards without risk. But there is no such thing. You can't have the one without the other. God has not called us to a life of safety. He has called us to a life of daring, adventurous faith. So follow him into that glorious unknown and see how he will provide for you. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord God, so often we are unwilling to take risks. We admit that. Unwilling to venture out in faith, trusting that you will provide. Too often, Lord, we just want to play it safe. And we may even deceive ourselves into believing that this is really what Christianity is all about, just playing it safe. Forgive us our weak and anemic faith. And help us, Lord, to live boldly, courageously, and not fearfully. May we experience the power of your presence flowing through us each day, enabling us to do what we could not do on our own. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.